0: stuff together we can talk about but I want to talk to you about your connections today and today's big thought the thing that I want you to go away with is not oh my goodness I need to evangelize more but I think perhaps the first step that I just want us to all of us think about is the people in your world and this thought that everybody in your world and my world has either been intentionally placed there or at the very least, allowed in your life by God for you to connect with them, to help connect them to God. And so I want you to think about those two, kind of the two axes of that, is that everybody in your world is there because God has allowed them or specifically placed them to be there for you to connect with them, but not just so that you've got a load of good connections and you've got loads of friends on Facebook and you know, if you had a party, there'd be lots of people to be there, but it's it's that you can connect them and that you can connect them to God. that's why they're there, and so that's the big thought that I want us to go after today, and we're going to pray and get into it. so let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together. We thank you that we can come to your word, and it can change us, and that's what we want this morning, Lord Jesus. We don't just want to come in. And worship you and feel good, although that has merit, but we want to be changed more into your likeness, Lord Jesus. We want to look at your life and be more like you. We want to be different at the end of our time together because we came and we met you, Lord Jesus. So I pray that you take the words that I'm going to speak, Lord, and that you direct it to every heart and that Holy Spirit, you help us apply it to our life as it needs to be and that faith would rise and courage would come and that we would be different at the end of today because of you in jesus name amen amen well we know really from the beginning that we are designed for connection that's how we're designed to be when we have the the garden of eden and god says it's good and there's all the animals there and adam's there and it's all great but then god still sees that there's something lacking in that sense because he said it's not good for man to be alone And so he creates women to be alongside man. And even though they had dogs in the Garden of Eden, apparently that was not enough. It couldn't just be man and man's best friend. It had to be man and another person. There had to be woman there for there to be connection. And so connection is hardwired into us as people. We know that when people are disconnected, there's a whole load of mental health issues. There's actual physical health issues that come from being disconnected And for literally thousands of years, the way that the world has worked is that we've lived in close and smaller groups of connection. That's how for thousands of years, families have been that you wouldn't just live with your immediate and extended family, but that you'd live with other people and that you would be connected. How many of you know that we now live in the most digitally connected age ever? we're, all of us, in a giant social experiment to do with the internet and social media. And I'm sure in 50 years, we'll look back at this time and be like, gosh, we wish we knew then what we know now about this connectedness that we have digitally. I can press a button on my phone and I can see my mom and dad who are, let me get this right, 10,237 miles away in the Northern Hemisphere. That kind of connectivity was the stuff of science fiction people were writing about this in terms of fairy stories and yet we live in the world today where we're so connected we have all these shared experiences in the staff room people are talking about you know what they watch together you know our maths or survivor and i can't believe that person made that blind side i've gotten really into survivor i was really hoping that i wouldn't but i'm i'm, I'm totally in i'm sold i'm sold out to it now it's very addictive, don't start watching it. It's just addictive. And so we have all these shared experiences where you know everybody's watching something, you talk about it in the staff room, and it's this big, collective, connected experience that we have, but at the same time as us being the most connected generation ever, digitally, in the world, loneliness is now at epidemic proportions. Do you know now that in the UK, Doctors are prescribing things like bingo and ballroom dancing and boxing, literally prescribing this to people whose symptoms are um, indicative of their loneliness. And so, because they're lonely, they have physical symptoms that are happening and the doctors are prescribing social situations to them. And surprise, surprise, when they're in community, they're actually getting better. So now you can be prescribed in some surgeries a walk, a community walk. You can be prescribed to go for a walk once a week, and that will help you, and it is helping. And we would think that sometimes, when we think about loneliness and connectivity, that perhaps our older generation would be most afraid of kind of being lonely. They would be the most disconnected. But actually, loneliness is the the biggest deal about loneliness is amongst millennials. It is now their number one fear above losing a job or losing a home for a millennial. Their big fear is being lonely. And they're so connected, and yet this is what they worry about. This is amazing status I saw this week. 42% of millennial women are more afraid of being alone than they are of a cancer diagnosis. They'd rather have somebody sit across to them and say, you've got cancer, than them live in a state of loneliness. That's how big a deal loneliness is in our world. And we could talk a lot about why that is and how that is and all the problems to solve, like the ways that we could solve it, but we'd need more than the time that we have together and you'd need a lot smarter person than me to help talk through how we would do that. But what I want us to think about is, is this is the culture that we're in. We're in a very connected and yet lonelier than ever culture. And that presents us with a unique opportunity for connection, because people are looking for it. People are craving this. This is what they want. They are surrounded and yet completely disconnected. They can be have lots of friends, have a great social media influence, have this world that looks perfect, and yet you and I know when we see stories in the media of people that have um, had severe mental health issues or different problems in their life, that they would say that they don't feel like they have anybody to talk to. And you think, how can that be? You've got this massive network of people, and yet they're so lonely, and they need somebody. Into that vacuum can step the church, and can step you and me, because the church is not just the building, it's, it's us, isn't it? You know that, that if the building burned down, not that we would want it to, but if it did, Emerge Church would still be here, because Emerge Church is us. And so thinking about that connectivity. And I want us to think about connection today because connection is one of the values of our church. It's one of the things that underpins us. And connection is not just a program or something that we do. It's part of who we are. It's something that we really value as a church. And so I was thinking in 2020, how are we going to increase our connection? How are we going to leverage our connection? And I think it's coming to a place of valuing it and being more intentional with it. Like with everything, what we pay attention to grows and it develops. And so if I want in my world connection to become something that I am growing in and developing in, I have to start looking at it, which is what God turned my attention to. And I have to start being intentional with it. And so this morning, I don't want it to be a guilt trip and neither am I going to give you kind of five keys to win everybody in your world to Jesus because you probably heard all of those things before, maybe tried a few, fallen flat on your face, and all of that kind of stuff that happens to all of us. So I don't really want to kind of go down that route. We may do that later in the year. But this morning, all I'm wanting you to do is to look again at your world. Look again. Look again with fresh eyes. Look again at each connection that God has placed. Because remember, if we Uh, believing the statement that everybody in your world is placed there intentionally by God, or at least he's allowed them there, then they're there for you to connect with them to help connect them back to God. The number's a bit debated, but most people think that as a human, you will have around 150 meaningful connections. 150 meaningful connections in your world. Not somebody that you just say hi to and you pass, but somebody that you know, you know them by name. Some of you with bad memories are thinking, 150, I don't think I will get to like 72. But apparently, that's kind of roughly the number, depending on your age and stage of life and what's going on. 150 people, all different settings, school, work, your neighbors, family, family those Facebook friends that you were friends with, but they moved away, and so you just connect that way, all different ways that you know them. And we know two things about every connection that you and I have. Every person that you're connected to, we can all agree is loved by God, yes? we're, we're not too sure about that. They're loved by God, yes? Yes, so God's not like, I love 149 of them, but that person, I really hate that one, no. Every person, every one of your people, is loved by God. He created them, he wants them, he loves them, he knows them, he knows everything about them. God knows them and loves them, they're created by God. And the second thing that we know is that they've been slotted into your world for purpose. They've been allowed there because God's not accidental, he's not just kind of, you know, thrown the world together and let's just see how it goes. He's purposeful, we see that in so many different areas, purposeful design that pulls the threads of the universe together. And so if somebody's in your world, it's because God has either strategically placed them there or he's allowed them to be near you. There are no chance encounters in that sense. There's nobody that's just there because, oh, you know, it was a blip of the universe and chance. No, everybody in your world is there by divine setup or God allowing them to be there. And so when we think about that, when you think about the people that you work with, your neighbors, the place where you live, the uni that you go to, the class that you teach, the class that you sit in, the parents that you meet on the school ground, all of those connections, those 150-ish people, what are they there for? Why has God allowed them? And I want you to look again at your world and see them for what they really are. And I want us to look at three things this morning that hopefully gonna help you just look with fresh eyes at your connections. And this has really helped me as I've looked at my world and then realized I don't have a lot of people outside of church, that's a problem. I have to fix that, I have to do some things. And so I've started taking some steps in my world to expand it and to increase my connections outside of church. Because if I'm not in contact with people who don't know the love of Jesus, there's something seriously missing in my life. And before, I was just, I didn't really care about that. I didn't really realize it, but as God put his finger on it, I was like, that's a problem, Julie. That's a problem that I don't have meaningful connection with somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus because that part of me is missing, that part of the connection. And it's thinking, I suppose, less about trying to get that connect for moment because often when we think about our connections, we can think, all right, if I if I have this coffee and I introduce them to this person and we and I give them this book to read and we have one amazing conversation, then they'll just say one day, do you know I really need to come to church? And you'll be like, great, that's awesome, come along to church. And then you're hoping that somebody good will be preaching and that they do an altar call and that you'll be really praying hard in that moment and they put their hand up and then yes, job done, we got them over the line, connect for done, like. I think sometimes we approach our connections like that, where we're we're wanting to slot things in, we're wanting to get things in the slot, we get blocked and they say no, and you think, okay, all right, try and go around another way. And we can get so caught up in trying to get this connect four moment without realizing that when when we're looking at our life, if I'm looking at me and thinking, okay, I'm trying to get a connect four moment, maybe I want to start, you know, using this to go up a different way. But actually, I'm connected to three people here who are nothing like me. And I can be so caught up in, I need to get the four. I need to get the line. I need to get them to church. I need to, you know, get them across the line. I need to do the thing to make it all slot together without realizing that actually where God has placed me, there are people around me that are nothing like me, but God has allowed them in my world. God has placed them here. God, by divine providence, has put them and slotted them into my life. And if they're there, then they're there by design or they've been allowed there. And it's because God wants me to connect with them because he wants me to help them connect with him. Does that make sense? Awesome. So the first thing that I want us to look at is connection for friendship. And we're going to read together in John 1. And I love this little account. It's the account of when Jesus is calling some of his first disciples, and it'll be up on the screen, and I'm going to read it. John 1.35, it says this. The next day, John, this is John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So they've just ditched John and gone and followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? This is really good Jewish interaction because he's asked a question. They're asking a question. It's really clever. Come, Jesus replied, and you'll see. Really cagey. He doesn't say, I'm off to Maccas. This is my next five steps. He just says, come along. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It's about four in the afternoon, and Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, one of the two had heard what John has said, followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him we found the Messiah that's the Christ and he brought his brother to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said you are Simon son of John you'll be called Cephas which then translated as Peter. So these two guys he just picked them they just ditched their previous rabbi and now they're with Jesus. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee finding Philip so Jesus seeks him out intentionally and says to him follow me Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, so they all knew each other. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathaniel has an unguarded moment. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And then, I love this, Philip echoes what Jesus said. So he doesn't say, well, actually, yes, there's this guy and he's really great, and he doesn't give this five-point explanation. He just says, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching him, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Jesus said, you believe, Nathanael declares, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Which is, this, this, that's true. Straight off, he gets it. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than that. And he added, very truly, I tell you, you'll see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And here's what I want to pull out of this passage. When we think about Jesus as a person, so we know that he is fully God and fully man all at the same time, perfect in every way. And so he has an assignment, he has to, he knows that, that he has a limited amount of time, and so he's choosing his disciples. But we know through the scriptures and through other, in, in the other gospels, that it's not just the 12 who are chosen, who, are, who Jesus said, come follow me. There was a group, because in Luke 5... Jesus goes up to the mountain and he prays all night about who to have as the 12 if that makes sense who to have as the Apostles now if you've only got 12 I don't think you have to go and pray all night because your twelves your 12s 12, you 12 do you know what I mean we're like who shall I pick oh there's only 12 congratulations you're all in but because he went away and he had to pray that tells us that there were more than just a 12 so Jesus had asked people they'd said come follow me People had probably done what these guys did, which was like, hey, this guy said, come follow me. I know someone who's gonna like this. So they went and got a friend or a brother or a relative and were like, come on, let's go and see what it's about. So there's a group and a crowd forming around Jesus, but he takes the time in Luke 5 to go away and to pray about who the 12 are gonna be, who his apostles are gonna be. And I think he's doing that for lots of different reasons, not least of which because these 12 or the 11, as they turn out to be in the end, are going to be the fathers of the early church. They're going to be the ones who are establishing churches and who are sent out. And because Jesus is fully God, he knows that. And so he's having to pick the people who've got the character, the people who are able to carry that weight, all of that stuff. But in the middle of that mix, because Jesus is also fully man, I reckon he's going to pick people that he likes also, people that he can get along with. Which, when I was thinking about that, and I'm like, but it's Jesus. Jesus can literally get along with anybody. Like, if anybody can get along with anybody, it's Jesus. Because he knows that, as he's looking into somebody's face, that's somebody he created. That's somebody who God has breathed into them the breath of life. And so, if Jesus, who can get along with everybody, and the whole world, and yet... He is intentional in who he chooses to deepen his friendship with and his connection with, which just blew my mind because I'm like, he could have picked anybody because Jesus can work with anybody. And we see that, the fact that he put Judas in the mix. Most of us, knowing Judas and how he ended up, would not have put Judas in the mix, but Jesus puts him in the mix, which means that Jesus is intentional could have worked with anybody, could have picked anybody for friends, could have picked anybody to spend the three years with, could have picked anybody. And yet he goes away and he prays and is intentional about the future and the friendships that he wants to invest in. He chooses who he wants to connect deeper with. And I want you to think about your world and the people in it, your 150 if we put it that way, and think, who, look again, look again with fresh eyes and think, okay, who in my world could I prayerfully and intentionally connect with on a deeper level? Because you've got Jesus inside of you, so the answer really should be anybody. You, you probably could do that with pretty much anybody in your world, but who is there that God wants you to intentionally connect with on a deeper level for friendship? Not inside church, But outside of church, who could you take that next step with for connection? Because it's great having friends in church, and we absolutely encourage that. And life groups are brilliant for that. And if you're not in one, you should totally get in one because they're amazing. And uh, we want you to have friends in church because they help, and it's great. But when we think about Jesus, yes, they're on mission together, but these were pretty messed up guys. Jesus was friends with people who (laughs) were leaning in towards the things of God, But they had some messed up beliefs. They had some messed up ways of thinking and doing things. So much so that at one point, Jesus has sent them out and somebody didn't accept their message, the disciples. It's not that far along. And then they come back to Jesus and they say, Jesus, these people didn't accept the message. Shall we call down fire from heaven and just burn them up? That's pretty messed up. The, the fact that you could think that as a, as a rational thought and then say it out loud, you know, you might think it inside and think, oh, I don't like those people, they weren't very nice to us. But to say, shall we just nuke them? You know, shall we just, you know, zap them, get it over and done with, they're obviously a lost cause. Let's just, let's just kill, let's massacre the entire village with fire. Let's do it now. Those are not people, we're probably not having that conversation in church. Me and Saskia are probably not going to have that conversation. They're not going to say to me, do you know what? My life group, they just didn't, they didn't have a good time. Let's just nuke that life group with fire. Wow. Now, Because Saskia knows and loves Jesus and loves her life group. She'd never say that because she loves her life group. But what we see is that Jesus has picked people whose all their beliefs are not lined up. They've not got everything together. They've, they've not figured everything out. They're leaning towards Jesus. They, they recognize some of who he is, but they're still pretty messed up. They're still on the journey. They're still working things out. And so in your world, in my world, who can we look again at and think, I'm gonna connect to them intentionally for friendship. And even if they have some messed up beliefs, Even if they say something and you think, that is a wacko thought, but you just keep that inside, think that, no, that's kooky dooks, that's full on, that's not normal thinking, whatever it might be. But could we take that connection a bit further? Could we be intentional with it? Could we intentionally, prayerfully connect with them further in friendship? Not just that we've got a nice friend outside of church, but so that we can love them and show them what life can be like with Jesus? Could we do that? Could we connect with them for friendship? And I think when we're thinking about that, looking for somebody who's leaning towards the things of God is, is probably a good thing. So when Jesus is choosing people, it's interesting that he comes to where he does because it was like a hotbed of, of thought and discipleship, and, and they, were, they were people who were leaning towards the things of God. And so I'm thinking about somebody who's in my world and when I think about it, I'm like, you'd make a great Christian. Have you got people in your world that are like that? It'd be like, you'd be so good if you knew Jesus. Like, you, you'd, yeah. you'd just, you'd be good. Like, I can see you in church. And, and she's got some interesting things about spirituality. She's quite a spiritual person. And she's got some interesting things that she would say about um, how you help the universe get things to you and all that kind of stuff. But when I've had a conversation with her, I actually like her. I like her as a person. She's easy to get on with. I think we could actually be friends. You know, it's kind of like a client client service relationship at the minute. But when when I think about it, I think, actually, I think we could be friends. I think we could click together. I think I like you. I think you're a nice person. I think I could get on with you. And so I can either just leave that as like, oh, that's nice. I see you kind of maybe every eight to ten weeks, that kind of thing. Or I can try and make an intentional step. I can look at her with fresh eyes and think, do you know, I'm going to connect with you for friendship. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to, you know, do some things that, that put me in your path a little bit more often. So it's going to take time from me. It's going to take some money from me because I have to pay for her service. And so I'm going to have to go a little bit more frequently because I want to take that next step of friendship. And I want to do that because she's actually a really lovely person. And I just think we'd get on. But ultimately, I want to do that because I want to connect her with the God who made her. She's searching and she's looking, but I want to connect her with the God that she is looking for without even knowing that she's looking for him. Does that make sense? So I want you to look again in your world. Who could you take that next step of friendship with? And it may take a bit of time, it may take a bit of money, but I think it's good for us to prayerfully and intentionally invest when Jesus was looking for his 12, he didn't just be like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, you'll do it, you there in the back, you know, you're nice, I, I like you, you've got great shoes, off we go, let's, the 12. No, he was, he was intentional, he actually spent all night praying about it. So if Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, spent all night praying about who should I invest in intentionally, then perhaps that's a good marker for us that this is a big deal to God. This is something that's important to him. So let's prayerfully and intentionally invest. The second connection that I think perhaps this year we could be more intentional with and we could lean on a little bit more is connections for purpose. And I want to take you to this story in John 4. It's just a couple of chapters later. And if you've been in church any time, You'll, you'll know this story. And so I'm just going to kind of recap it pretty quickly. So Jesus has done some miracles. He's trying to go from one place to the other. But in the middle is a place called Samaria. Now, they're supposed to go around it, being good Jewish men. They're not supposed to go through Samaria. But Jesus knows that somebody is there. And so he goes through Samaria. They come to a village. He sits down. There's a woman at the well in midday, which we know she shouldn't be there, which because it's hot, and you don't get water in the middle of the day, you go in the morning, and so she's there, because her her society, the group of people that she lives with, all of her connections have said, you can't come and get water in the morning, and that's because she's causing a bit of stir in the village, because she's already had five different guys, and had five different relationships, and that was a big taboo, and even though they were Samaritans, and it it was just not a good thing and so she's been outcast and then they have this interesting interaction where jesus asks for a drink of water and she's she you know she's a bit confused about what's going on and then she's like you can't ask me for water because you're a jew and i'm a samaritan and like you know we don't mix and then jesus drops this hint i love this if you knew the gift of god and who it is that asks you for a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus takes this ordinary, normal conversation to have around the water cooler in the office, and throws in a line to kind of tease her, a bit of a hint, a bit of a, you know, I'm just going to throw this out, and, and she probably could have not picked it up at all, but he throws out this line about living water, and she picks it up, and she has this well, she kind of misunderstands at the start. She's like, where is this well? It sounds great. You know, know, if I never have to come and get water again, that'd be awesome. And then Jesus is like, no, 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 it's me. And they have this big conversation. And then he gives her a word of knowledge and talks about her past. And then she's like, oh my goodness, who is this guy? And what happens is she goes back to her village. And the end, I want to read to you specifically the end of it. So she's had this interaction. Jesus has dropped a big hint She's picked it up. She's got a little bit confused in this whole conversation. But she's so moved by what Jesus has said to her that she goes back to her village. And this is what it says. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. This was not on the itinerary. This would be an unscheduled stop on the itinerary, but he stayed And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And now we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I want you to think about the connections in your world as connections for purpose. They've got connections for friendship. But there's people in your world that if you intentionally connect with them, and God will show you who they are, but if you intentionally connect with them, there is a big ripple effect on the other end of them. This one woman, this one conversation about water and she gets it all wrong and it's all a bit messy, but that one interaction actually saves a whole village or most of the people in the village come to a living faith in Jesus because of this interaction. And whilst every person has intrinsic worth and value in the kingdom, some people have strategic purpose, because what we see in another story is a story of the demoniac, where Jesus goes to a place and and it's all a, it's a crazy crazy story and there's pigs and the guy and it's just it's an amazing thing and at the end he gets healed and he says to Jesus, "I want to come with you," which is a logical thought because. Most of his life, he's been raving around naked, cutting himself in tombstones. So I'm not sure I'd want to stay in that community if that had been my MO up to that point. So he asked Jesus, can I go? Jesus says, no, you can't. You have to stay where you are. But then later on, what we find is that Jesus comes to the same region, and 4,000 people come to hear Jesus. And scholars think that's because this one guy who had an encounter with Jesus went to the other 10 towns and told everybody about what Jesus had done for him. And because he was well known in the region and this transformation had been so dramatic, then when the same guy who did this miracle comes, everyone's like, we need to go and hear this guy. Now, they have the same intrinsic worth and value as everybody else, but the strategic value and purpose on them is greater because of their influence and because of their ability to gather other people. And I wondered if you could look again at your world and think and ask Jesus, who is it in my world that has strategic purpose and value? Who is it? Is it the boss? Is it the office gossip? Is it the person who you really don't like, but they've got the ear of everybody in your world? Is it that kind of linchpin mum on the schoolyard that, you know, if something's happening, they all look to her and see what she's gonna do first and then it all sorts it out. Who is there in your world that is there for strategic connection and value? Some people have that on them. They have that strategic connection purpose on them. And I wonder if we could look again, if we could look at them with fresh eyes, would we see them? And and the thing that I want you to remember is that God's already put them in your world. And so we might feel a little bit intimidated about that and think, oh, you know, maybe it's the boss and God drops it in your head that it's the boss that you need to talk to. You think, gosh, but I just... You know, I don't really know how to deal up with that and I really don't know. But if they're in your world, remember that they've been slotted there in the divine plan of God. And so if they're in your world, then God has given you everything you need to be able to connect with them and to help them know their maker. You are the gift of God in their world. They just don't know that yet. You are the gift of God to them in their world, but they just don't know it. And you've been perfectly positioned to perhaps ask a question, to maybe drop a hint, to maybe have a few awkward conversations where you know, it doesn't really feel like it's, you're kinda of getting anywhere, but maybe in those conversations, God's gonna give you a word of knowledge that's just gonna unlock it. Maybe you're gonna be able to love and value that person in a way that nobody else does, but because you're in their world, it's gonna help unlock something in them, and it's gonna help bring that strategic purpose in your workplace, in your school, at uni, wherever it is that you find yourself. So we can connect for friendship. We can connect for purpose. And the last way is that we can connect for worth. And I wonder if the band could join me up on stage. I want to read to you in Luke 23. We talked about how we can connect for friendship. And that's it's good and it's great. And we talked about these people who... They're in our world strategically because God's placed them there and they've got that value. But I think it's really important to balance that thought about purpose and value with this next thought, which is that there are people in your world that God wants you to connect with them and connect with them for worth. There's nothing that they bring to the table. There's nothing strategic about them. There's nothing, they're not gonna get another 10,000 people saved, but they're there in your world because God wants you to show them the worth that they have to their maker. I want to read you from Luke 23 and it'll be on the screen. Two other men, both criminals, were led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified them there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots and people stood watching and even the rulers sneered at him. And they said he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him vinegar, wine vinegar, and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a huge notice written above him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. I want you to think about this connection that happened in this part of the story. They're not connecting for friendship. There's no time. Every breath and word that happens for both of them, they're having to push down on their feet, push down on their hands, which have got nails through them as we know, just to get a lung full of air to be able to speak. So this interaction is costly for both this man and for Jesus. There's no time for friendship. They're not getting down off the cross together and gonna go for a coffee with each other and diarize some hangouts and let their kids play together for some play dates. That's not gonna happen. There's also no strategic value for this man. This man who is next to Jesus, he's not going to come down off the cross. He's not now going to do a big soliloquy about how amazing Jesus is and you know he's the savior of the world and you guys have all got it wrong. You should turn to Jesus. He can't do any of that. He's about to die. He's literally about to have all his connections in life severed. So there is no strategic value in that sense for this man in the kingdom at this moment at all. And yet, still Jesus, our Jesus, who was in so much agony and pain, went beyond what was comfortable for him, what was convenient for him, what would any of us just have said, Jesus, you're about to die, like, you know, save your strength, save your breath. It it doesn't matter right now. You know, you're about to go into eternity you you're about to die this is this is as real as it gets don't don't bother talking to the person next to you now because you're you're about to die and yet Jesus goes beyond himself and he looks at who's been placed next to him if we were to look at it this way he looks at who's been placed next to him and takes this very last connection and helps this person who's been strategically placed there by God and helps this person connect back to the Father. And it's stunning because there's no friendship, there's no strategic value, he simply does it because this person is worth it. They're worth the effort, they're worth the pain, they're worth the conversation, they're worth the time, they're worth the expense that it is for Jesus because They're made in the image of God, like we said at the start. They're loved by him. And Jesus took this very last connection. And in something that cost him so much, connected a child back to the father. Meant that this person could spend eternity in the presence of God. And this man who who was dust, and had life breathed in him, and he was just about to get turned back into dust. Jesus places intrinsic worth and value on him, not for any reason, but just because he's a human that is loved by God, and Jesus wanted him to get him back to the Father. And So yes, I want you to look again at your world for friendship. Yes, I want you to look again with fresh eyes and see those strategic people. Yes, I want you to look at your world and find that person that just has worth. They're not going to offer you anything. You're not going to be friends with them. But could you look at people the way that Jesus would look at them and see that they they have intrinsic worth and value simply because they are a human that has the breath of life in them and they're really, really loved by God. And God really loves them. And he really wants to get back in relationship with him. So much so that he organized the universe to get them in across your path, to connect them into your world, because he trusts you and he knows you and he loves you. And he knows that you love him. And he knows that you care about the things that he cares about. And so he's organized the universe to get your worlds to collide and to put that connection in your world so that you can let your people in your world know that they are loved by God, that they're not on the planet for any other reason than God loves them and He knows them and He wants to be back in relationship with them. I think so often when we think about connection and when we think about evangelism, we get so caught up in trying to make the line, in trying to connect the four, in trying to get the big win. In, get them to church, and we're always going to encourage you to do that, because we actually believe that church is a great place to be, and it's a family, and I'm not saying let's stop doing that. What I'm saying is, is maybe this year, instead of trying to get all the way to the end, perhaps we could just look who's around us, and start there first, and look again, and look for friendship, and look for strategic value and purpose, and look for the people who have none of that, but are just there and have worth and value.